0: Well, you know, all along the American shoreline, communities are trying to tackle very complex problems of shoreline change. How do you manage growth in a community? That is the focus of the Local Control podcast. And I am really pleased today to have an expert on what it means to be a representative of a local government trying to sort through the complex administrative procedures that go with building successful projects on the coast. Welcome, everybody, to the Local Control Podcast. My name is Peter Revelle. I'm the host of the show, and I'm really pleased to welcome today Bill Wersham from LJA Engineering. Bill is the director of Coastal Engineering. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Peter. Yeah, and before we dive into a conversation, and what we're trying to talk about today is the relationship between local government and local governments that have responsibility to their voters and their citizens for the state of the coast and the administrative processes above them at the state and federal level that are so important in whether these things get done right. Uh, Before we dive into that conversation, I need to make a quick uh, thank you to our sponsor, the TI Coastal Services from Wilmington, North Carolina. TI Coastal Services led by Chris Gibson, a fantastic coastal engineer, and Chris was kind enough to sponsor ASPN's coverage of the Florida Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting coming up this week in Hutchison Island, Florida. We'll be there uh, tomorrow. We're jumping on a plane, and we're looking forward to talking every, to everybody in Florida uh, and so we want a, a big shout out to Chris Gibson and TI Coastal Services for sponsoring our coverage of the Florida Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting. And we'll be bringing you that coverage throughout the week. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so, Bill, you and I have known each other a long time. Long time. I, I, I don't know how many years, but it's 20 plus, isn't it? Yeah, when was <laughs> when was the CMP passed in Texas? 19, 1996, I think something we're right in there. Bill and I used to work together at the Texas General Land Office, the Lead Coastal Management Agency for the state of Texas. And over the years, we have crossed paths many, many times professionally. Uh, Bill is now the director of Coastal Engineering at LJA Engineering, a very fine. Uh, engineering firm down here in texas that works along the gulf coast um so bill damn it uh you know introduce our listeners to to uh what you've been doing for the last 20 years what we've been fooling around
1: yeah it's since you and i met i had i came back to texas from california and uh you know of course i grew up here in texas and uh working with you at the land office but uh i had you know my friends and family and uh uh, all were, you know, from Southeast Texas in uh, Jefferson County in Beaumont, Port Arthur. I'm from Port Natchez. And it really it d- wasn't long before I got to start working with all my, you know, people from, from Jefferson County a- as part of my job. And that eventually led to opportunities to work on projects in Jefferson County, which was, you know, very fun right. for me to do. And so through that, I've I've been able to uh, spend time there, learn even more about the the coast there than I knew growing up, and then, uh, you know, more recently, work with the elected officials and the staff down there to put projects in the ground, and that's been a really interesting experience.
0: Well, you're a true coastal engineer, not in the sense of just the... uh, the name of this study that you've done but you grew up on the texas coast uh your your parents were uh uh pillars of the community down there tell us about your family history living on the texas coast and folks we're over here for those folks out in california and other parts of the u.s we're in beaumont texas at port natris we're over by the louisiana border We're, we're on the easternmost part of the texas coast tell us about your family history over there
1: yeah, so, you know, my grandparents um, basically were in the area working in in World War II in the oil industry, you know, when oil became oil and rubber and all of the things that were needed for the war effort in World War II brought them into that area. And so my grandparents were there. My parents grew up together in Port Natchez and knew each other from, you know, elementary school. And so I, you know, I grew up in Port Neches and spent a bunch of time on the river, the Neches River and Sabine Lake, and uh, the Gulf of Mexico beaches there, McFadden Beach. Yeah, all all these these familiar names to uh, anybody that does coastal projects now in Texas. But uh, so uh, yeah, I, I grew up there and then uh, got an ocean engineering degree at Texas A and M and.
0: Well, I hope you don't mind me telling one story. Uh, When I I was at the land office in the coastal division, we were just starting the coastal management program. We were going to begin to uh, uh, offer grants out to the community to build projects. And one of the things we decided in the management of the agency is, boy, we, we ought to have a coastal engineer or somebody who can look at a damn set of plans <laughs> and tell us if what people are proposing to do makes any sense at all. And Bill Worsham was the first coastal engineer ever hired by the state coastal management agency, the general land office. I'm, I'm damn sure that's correct. That
1: That <laughs> is correct. I was in Southern California at the time, and um, you're, you're talking about my family, I believe that it was... Uh, At the time, it was called Port Arthur Day at the legislature Hmm. in Austin, and my parents were part of the delegation, and they uh, heard a presentation by Karen Cosper of the General Land Office. Really? Who announced to them that they were looking for a coastal engineer. Wow. And so my parents got her card. And sent it to me and said, we don't know anything else about this, but you should give
0: this person a call. It was a great hire. Uh, Bill's an absolute pro and was from the first day he walked into the land office. But uh, this is a little bit of a a personal aside. But, you know, I remember, and I don't know, in the first, it seems to me my memory is in the first three months that we were working together at the land office and we were trying to get the Texas Coastal Management Program off the ground. Uh, Bill came to me and he said, "Listen, I've got to go on a trip." And I said, "Bill, you know, in state government, you you don't have any vacation time. You have to go through your probationary period at six months." <laughs> and he said, "I'm going. I'm, I've I've been accepted into the World Sailing Championships. I think it was in Rome." And you basically said, "Look, I'm going to Rome with this team of sailors because Bill is a, c- a serious competitive sailor." And I was flummoxed, I was his boss, and I said, you know, you, you can't, you, I have kind of tried to put my foot down, you can't do that, that's not consistent, and he absolutely, <laughs> what I remember is you said, listen, I don't care whether you tell me yes or no, I'm going to Rome, and if I come back and I still have a job, I really get, I'll, I'll show up. I mean, <laughs> is, that, is that how you remember that story? Because that's, that was my first confrontation as a manager in state government, was handling Bill's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it, was it Rome? That's, that's <laughs> fairly close to what I would call the truth. Um,
1: I was probably feeling my oats there a little bit, but what, but the, the earlier part of that story though was, so that actually was, I think a year into.
0: Yeah, uh, We were a little further down the road. Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe I was coming up on my first year okay. at the land office when that happened, but, right. but we have been talking about it for several months, but part, Part of the, the prior history of that was that I was scheduled to race from California to Hawaii wow, yeah. the previous year. And I had to not take that trip because yeah. you, you needed me to show up at the land office yeah. the, the week before the race started. So, yeah. So I'd oh, okay, myself, <laughs> okay, I'd, I had already told myself, okay, I already... That was take two that's of the right. discussion. So, so I, I the way I saw it is like you know we're we're fifty fifty now you know I took one for the team right. to come out and get started early right. but now that we're a year into it I'm gonna I'm gonna take this trip.
0: So. Well, how did I, as I recall, I I remember when you came back from was it Rome? I mean yeah you, it was Sardinia it was Sar- the Sardinia offshore of Rome yeah. Uh, and I can't remember how your team did. I, I was hoping that you'd win it you know but oh, we, I, I think yeah. you guys we we <laughs> were in very much in the middle of the pack
1: but uh, it was actually it was my first and only trip to Europe, you know, so it was a big, big event in my life, especially back then.
0: Well, the reason I I talk about that, and the fact that we worked together for the land office for many, many years, implementing, developing and implementing the coastal management program and project management at the state level, handing out grants, uh, and trying to sort out how to improve the coast, is Bill and I have deep roots in the state government system, and what oversight is all about, and why state uh, the state matters uh, in the process of effective coastal response and management in our careers. I think we have both left that, that realm and we've moved on to representing and working with coastal communities. I've done that for, I did that for another 15 years working with coastal communities on project financing and grant management and all of that stuff. And, and you've done that as well and we've gotten our feet so deep into what is it like to look at these problems from the perspective of local government? Like, tell me what happened, at, you know, what have you learned in your many years of working with clients all along the coastline about their perspective on these pro- these very tough problems?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it has been interesting and, and it was very important in, in my career to have, have seen the state regulatory side of the equation, yeah. and, and even to, to some extent, the state funding side, although back then they didn't have much money.
0: We didn't. We had, we were pennies, but, really. But,
1: but um, kind of flipping over you know, back to the private sector, which is where I came from before I went to the land office, um, and, and working for the communities, you really got the sense that the staff and the elected officials, th- there is no one closer to the people than them. Yeah. And it's direct drive. If the people in the community are not happy or if there's a problem that they sense, um, it, it is going to be the local staff and the local elected officials that, that experience yeah, you know, that they'll hear I- it. immediately. And so it's it's immediate and direct. And these are, you know, it, it it's not some faceless person far away. No. It, these are people that they go to, you know, church with and their kids go to school with and... Uh, you know these are these are friends and family, and it's and it's personal, and so I think first and foremost you have to, uh, at any other level of government, you have to acknowledge the how personal it is at the local level when when uh, either you have uh, a problem or a need or a success, right? And you know, thankfully now we also have successes to share and to acknowledge and, and to spread around and uh, but I think to me it's just how personal it is.
0: Yeah, that's really a good point. I never really felt that at the land office except for maybe the conversations we had with the Port of Houston who when we were putting the coastal management program was a powerful enough force to put individual pressure on us <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as regulators and who the hell do you think you guys are And uh, but really the point you're making is, that in for local government officials confronting shoreline change problems or other emergencies or difficult uh, complex problems on the coast it really is the fact that they see them every day they see their constituents they're asking you to save their homes it is a very personal thing it is not abstract it's no. not
1: it's not an academic exercise
0: it's what are you going to do to help me save my home Right. in, in, in many instances? Truly. You know, I was, uh, when I was working in North Topsail Beach uh, and putting together a financing strategy for North Topsail Beach for a shoreline management program, there was a big difference of opinion between the mayor and a couple of council members. And when I worked there, they said to me, Peter, when you come over, we want you to go to Bible study. And, uh, I said, gee, I'd never been, I'm Catholic. I never went to a Bible study. I called my brother, uh, who does go to Bible study. I said, what do I do? What do I have to do? I, I, I prepared. I was, he said, look, you got to have a couple of verses. You got to be able to, here's a few. <laughs> so I went, to, this is how personal it is. Yes. We went on, I was there to work with the city council on a decision on a design issue and a funding problem. And all of the council members Appeared. we all went to the Bible study and we spoke eloquently in, in, about our shared brotherhood and all of that and then went out the door and went to the meeting and argued over the project. That was the most personal and intimate understanding of how local politics is vastly different right. from what it means to sit in Austin, Texas at the general land office on the sixth floor with a checkbook and a bunch of regulations, and going. I'm here to work on the coast. Yeah, you are, but you're not doing it the way the local people right. have to do it. That's right.
1: And it, again, you know, Bible study is a great example. You know, you can't walk into the the local restaurant, you know, without mm-hmm. seeing a whole group of people that not only know what's going on, but have an opinion,
0: and have a personal stake in what's going on. And focused. And so the purpose of this show, and Bill, why I'm so excited to be able to sit down with you on the Local Control Podcast is because we're talking about the relationship between what it means to be in governing at a state or federal level and what it means to do that work at the local community where the politics are direct, as you say, and very personal and, and literally involve discussions about what are you going to do to save my house? That's not an abstract issue in communities along the American shoreline. And I think, you know, I've worked at the local level too, and there is a, boy, I tell you, when you get down there and you look back up and you're trying to figure out how to get the permit, how to get the money, how to get the project, how to actually execute this stuff, there's a lot of frustration, because yeah. there's a whole lot of bureaucracy, it seems distant, it seems difficult. And as expert as you and I are, because we ran those programs and know them very well, you be you still end up with, you know what? this is not the way this should work out. Tell me about yeah. your experience over the decades that you've worked with local governments on, you know, how do you what has it been like? What's the difference of view between, your role as a representative of local governments and your role when you used to run the coastal management program at the land office.
1: Yeah. You know, I I think one of the things that really comes to mind, and, and there are several, but one of them that comes to mind is the difference in the time scales that, you know, the different groups and the individuals operate under. When you're a property owner or a business owner, and you make a decision to you know, invest and, and you know, put capital into a coastal project, whether it's your home or whether it's mm-hmm. you know, local tax money going into a, a, a public project, you're, once you've made that decision, you're ready to, you're ready to execute. You're ready right. to implement it. And every minute that goes by that, that that project doesn't get done is an opportunity for there to be damage. Or, very simply, it's just the time value of money. You know, tick-tock, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I've, I've decided to invest this money in a business. Uh, I have the money, but it's not making a return because I'm waiting. Right. And, and what am I waiting for? Well, you know, if, if you're waiting on your construction contractor, you know, that's between you and your construction contractor. But yeah. what if you're waiting on a permit?
0: Right, and third
1: party who you don't control. Right, you, right, you have, you so, you, so right away, you've already felt that loss of of control. You're feeling, you're potentially feeling a financial loss. Um, you're if 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 you're trying to protect property, you're you know you're under a a threat or a risk of right. something happening that's going to cause a loss, and so it's developing this tension and and, mm-hmm. and that can build up. None of that really necessarily is the fault of the regulator or you know whatever the, the entity is that the you're administrator. To get something from. Yeah. But already you have the tension. And
0: yeah. And I, and I think it's it, you know, it's I think you're quite right. I mean, we're not trying to assign blame necessarily, although there are is discretion sometimes to make these processes operate efficiently and quickly or more complexly and slower. Mm-hmm. Um it's the difference of view and and sometimes I remember when I was in the state level stuff, and we would we would be working on a proposal off the coast, and we would be going down and doing a hearing, and there would be a lot of angry people who felt threatened, their homes were at risk, they as you said, they had made a decision okay, we're ready to move forward and and it wasn't happening, and there's an intensity, an emotional intensity about the delay and i remember kind of in austin not fully appreciating and maybe even looking down a little bit on like ah they're just a bunch of naysayers they don't really understand Mm -hmm. i think as i've done this for many years and grown to appreciate the differences here uh folks in the state program level or the federal program level even more distant um I don't want to say anything about the core. I know the core is down in the district levels and stuff, but, but you, you really have to understand why this is different uh, for local individuals, property owners, people whose livelihoods depend on the health and stability of coastal resources. Uh, you, you really have to understand why that is so volatile. If, you're, if you kind of are lousy at this, and it's also true for the elected officials. The elected officials represent that intensity. So, tell us about your work in Jefferson County. I mean, you have Jefferson County, is a major player as a local sponsor on the Texas coast in multi-million-dollar projects. Uh, tell us about you know your relationship and and what is that like for your client Judge Brannock, who is right. uh, and for all you people around the country, when we said. Say Judge Brannick, what we mean is the chief executive of the county. In Texas, they're called judges. They're not judicial judges. That means the the boss, the the the, the county elected official who runs the show. Tell us about your experience with Jefferson County.
1: Well, again, keeping in mind that it's where I grew up, um, I, I had a real personal, uh, you know, a lot of personal feelings about working there and getting involved in an area that i knew something about and being able to you know help help pull on the wagon so to speak uh, for my for my home area and um you know it, it turned out to be a situation where they had they had some potential coastal projects that had warts you know they, they okay. were trying to do some things that uh, regulatory agencies didn't necessarily want them to do. They wanted to rebuild a coast highway, you know, in yeah. an area that they had traditionally rebuilt the coast highway every time it got destroyed, but more recently the area that they were trying to build it in had had become a federal refuge. Yeah. And so now you introduce layers of complexity and regulatory uncertainty, let alone the technical problem of of, you know, slowing the shoreline retreat. And so it be- quickly became this multidimensional <laughs> problem and project. And, you know, there's nobody on this earth equipped, you know, to deal with every single facet of this issue. So it, it quickly became much more than an engineering project. It became a regulatory project, a political right. project, a right. funding problem. Yeah, um, uh, You know, it's uh, dealing with... Uh, Federal ownership of of the land, yeah. So you know, we were actually trying to build a project on land we did not own, yeah. <laughs> you know, so right, so there are great just so example. many so many great things that that complicate this, and but but through it all, the 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 one thing that was always constant. Is the local community as led by Judge Brannock and his predecessors yeah um, he's the third county judge that's that's really been involved with uh, with these coastal projects They have never wavered in their desire and support to see something good happen on you know on the on their little piece of the Gulf of Mexico their right. piece of the Gulf Coast, even though it's owned by the feds even though they've been told they can't build their highway back. They have never wavered. And, you know, I I personally just feel like I owe it to them to see this project succeed because they have been so dedicated to it for so long. And, you know, it's one of the things that gets me up in the morning is to try to make that happen. Well, that's State
0: Highway 87. I have a piece of the asphalt, I'm pretty sure, in my office right over here that we picked up on the beach probably in 1990. I have one on my desk. <laughs> you know, and uh, for all you folks out of North Carolina, this is our NC-12, which is a roadway along the Outer Banks that has been consistently washed out. St- you know, the North Carolina Department of Transportation has been building it back. In Texas, we abandoned it. And it's not as if this is simply some sort of, uh, gee, a great way to get to the beach kind of road. This you have to understand how isolated this part of the Texas coast is and that this highway was how you could go from Beaumont to Galveston and to Houston this was a main uh, thorough there weren't a lot of other options so uh, the effort to uh, protect and restore and maintain highway 87 uh, speaks to this point that you're making the persistence of the f- of the local perspective that literally has been for decades. My entire coastal career has included the backdrop of Highway 87 and Jefferson County saying, we have got to figure out how to fix this. We need this.
1: It's funny. There, when I started working for you at the land office in 1995, when I walked into my office, there was a memo, and it had about 10 things on it. These are the things that you need to be aware of and looking at, and that was one of them. Really?
0: yeah that was in 1995 and it's now almost 2020 and it's almost figured out <laughs> <laughs> that's right so yeah. um you know i want to i want to talk a little bit about what i think is and 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 this is an important um element because when you set up governing systems where you've got multiple levels of government operating as you said Something as simple as, gee whiz, why don't we fix the road, becomes a political question. It becomes a multifaceted problem of federal jurisdiction, state jurisdiction, state financing, politics, local politics. None of this stuff is simple. Nothing on the American shoreline is ever simple. And But how these systems relate to each other is really uh, so important in, in how the projects play out. And here's the proposition I want to throw out, Bill, and I want to talk to you about is, you know, in my career in in working as a consultant over in Florida or in North Carolina, this is how the setup would go. The local community would find a problem they absolutely had, usually a shoreline retreat, homes threatened, access threatened, roads threatened, that kind of thing. And the local government would lead the charge of issuing an RFQ, finding a really qualified engineer hiring and contracting with that expert in partnership with the state. The state was a financial player who underwrote and subsidized and helped the local community. But the trick was those engineers went to the city council meeting and they said, here's what we're finding out. Here's the results of our investigation. This is what we propose to do. And the citizens in the town would listen to the engineer and they developed over the years, because you know these projects take years, personal relationships with the guys who were trying to sort the problem out and had to establish the credibility. That's how right. it worked in North Carolina. That's how it worked in Charlotte County, uh, in Florida, where I worked with Michael Paw from CEC, great engineer. You know, this is personal. Everybody, the homeowners on the island, New Michael Poff by name. They Absolutely, probably had his cell phone number. They could call him up and say, Michael, I don't understand this shoreline sediment transport thing you're doing. What the hell does that mean? And, and, you know, they could do that. Right. Here we are in Texas. We don't operate that way in Texas. We have in Texas the centralized control of professional engineering services on projects that are run through... The general land office. Right. And God bless the general land office. When we were back there, I think you you, you actually said it right. Back when we were there, we handed out maybe a million dollars, two million dollars a year. Right. The state of Texas has, has at its disposal $50 million in GOMESA funds, a probably a, a billion or more in community development, grants. They have $100 million in, in uh, Restore Act funds. For the state, they have a massive amount of money, and I don't know. I'm sort of thinking, and I've wondered this: why are we continuing to centralize project planning and engineering when that's disconnected? I mean, it just it seems to be one of the problems we have in Texas.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I was the first director of that of that program that started spending money on coastal projects, you know, back when, uh, I guess this was Land Commissioner Dewhurst. Yeah, David Dewhurst. When the the KEPRA funding first came through. And I think at at that time and, you know, with the lack of funding for these types of projects that existed prior to that, there was not really expertise at the local level or understanding or attention paid at the local level. There was just no need to... Uh, pay attention to it because there was nothing going to happen. And when that first funding source came, I believe it was 15 million for the biennium yeah, so seven, seven and a half million a year basically. Pretty low in coastal project money needs, but you, real money. Right. You could run that program out of one room with a with a handful of people and you could also be fairly sure that you knew as much as anybody about what was going on you know with the projects that you were funding. I, I think that that is no longer the case that no. uh, that as you said the, the kinds of numbers we're talking about um, there there's no central authority that can possibly know hmm. in, in any great detail everything about every one of these projects and um, you know quite honestly the you know the GLO staff has way more on their plate than than anybody should expect them to be able to to deal with and and I, I empathize with with the problem we both we have. did yeah I mean, we both do I think having been there we had more on our plates when we were there than, than than we can handle, and so the but but that is the the inertia of the program right you know it from its origins it, it has kind of continued in that way and and um, you know I I personally think that there's an, an opportunity to recognize now that that there are. There are many sources of of good knowledge and know how and experience and information in coastal communities yeah. now, and uh, that maybe you know decentralizing the you know the effort is a is a good yeah. direction.
0: It's more efficient. I mean, you know, over in North Carolina, where the state has operated as a decentralized program, where the state is a financial contributor, and here's the thing that's important about the state role in North Carolina and Florida, they have 100% control over the project designs and what gets built because they control the permitting. And what's interesting in Florida and in North Carolina is the agency with the money is also the agency with the regulatory oversight of the design and the issuance of the permit. Yeah. This is not true in Texas, and this is one of the things I think is why we're screwed up here. Is, Interesting. Is FDEP, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, can hand the money to Charlotte County and say, "Listen, you guys figure it out. Get your engineer." We they know that the engineer is going to come to them with a preliminary design, a monitoring protocol, and every inch of that proposal is totally within the regulatory power of FDEP. And anytime they want to say it ain't what we want, they can say it. And that control allows them to maximize their work efficiency. They can say to Michael Poff, Michael, come up with a design. Michael understands what the DEP is about. He can can work with them. But DEP staff does not have to manage that contract. In Texas, every major coastal project has to be managed by a project manager at the land office. And you need a 50-person serious coastal engineering firm to handle... 200 million dollars in projects and and they can't do it and and george p bush and i have spoken a couple times i am a fan of the land office we both used to work there uh george p this is a thing you can do better you should but it's the look the controlling agency here in our system is tceq which is different so there's some political reasons why we can't Act maybe as efficiently. I don't know. What do you think? I've been frustrated by this for a long time.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing you raise about other states. There's there's a dynamic tension between, uh, you know, you, you can't have a local community or a local f- engineering firm, you know, working for a local community go rogue. No, you can't. Because. Absolutely impossible. You, you know, you've got the state per- permitting agency to kind of keep them in check. 100%. And uh, I mean, clearly, you know, if if we are, and and I think it's fair to say we if we are advocating for a more decentralized we uh, are pro- project development process yeah um, we the collective we need to figure out how to create that dynamic tension right and so that it's a it's a self regulating mechanism yeah and uh, th- maybe that's where we need to be focusing some energy. Yeah. is to is to see how that might work. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I have the well the I don't either magic bullet <laughs> answer to that right now. But I, I think as as you said, we've we've got issues at the moment in, in trying to deliver projects, but both conceive of them and then put them in the ground right. in a timely way with all of the money we have available to us. Because Correct. A, as we know that money the, the longer it sits unused, the the more certain it is that it's going to be swept at, well, at some level. Two, don't problems, happening.
0: two problems in the delay. The one you pointed out at the very beginning, which was about the intensity of the relationship of the local community to the problem. And when the projects get tied up in centralized control, there's the staff isn't available to really keep track of the contracts and move the projects forward, the local officials feel every bit of that delay and, but you don't feel it in Austin. You just don't. We didn't when we were there as much as we could visually see it and even experience it. It wasn't our guiding principle as, as government players. And, and so I, well, and there was nothing you could do about it at that level at the staff level. Certainly not. No. And, and so there's the, there's the, there's the, the experience of the local officials and the motivations that they feel that separation and the fact that, th- that the, the level of horsepower required to run a $500 million annual, you know, construction and engineering design budget on a state agency that do they have, they don't have five engineers at the general land office in the coastal division I don't think they have three. Do they have two? Do they have any? I'm not sure they have an engineer on staff. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in the consulting engineering community, you know the intensity of the engineering expertise that has to be applied to make the right choices here. And I've, I've watched it all the time with the coastal engineering firms I've worked with, the intensity of the effort. Um, I'm working on the financing and the permitting part. I'm not doing the engineering design, but but everything they do uh, is a 40 hour week job to get a project oh, yeah. through the process. And when you don't have the horsepower, I mean, this is why I think, and Commissioner Bush, this is, if you listen to this, this is what I'm saying, is there is a bottleneck here, which is a choice. And there is a better choice here. And somehow in Texas, given the threats we have, the amount of money we have, we've got to come up with a better way or local elected officials and communities are going to explode. I, I, you know, it's not good.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, the local elected officials, as you say, are feeling it. And I think that the, that, that tension or that, 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 you know, the things that are bubbling up from the local level will bubble up and I'm sure are, bubbling up to the state level and the federal level and you know they they don't always do that in a it may not be in a productive way because you know if if you abandon the the project-based technical you know regulatory framework at, at the staff level what you end up with is you start hearing from your your yeah, state senators and your congressmen and 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 right. uh, U.S. senators, and then when when that involvement comes in, and, and as we know, it's not helpful. As we know, the, the you know n- nothing that the colonel of the of the local core district loves more than you know <laughs> s- getting a call from the something state rep <laughs> raining down from him, you know, from a yeah from the elected officials because that that just has a compounding effect that ties up even more of their resources because then they have
0: to they have and to it destroys the process that, you yeah. know the florida back in the day there was a time and all of those listeners in florida who know the old days when dep operated on a, uh, a state legislative appropriation basis for shoreline funding uh, and which is and until this past session is how texas is operated it would be basically the earmark model that, you know, some state senators, some reps in Florida would clamor up to the appropriations process in the legislature and beat on the process and get their project at the top of the heap. There was a point where the state of Florida said, you know what, that's the wrong priority. We got to go to the, the highest need first. We have to base it on engineering. We have to understand risk. We got to go to the science and the engineering and pick projects based on need first, and they, in, in order to do that, they had to create a, a, steady, a dedicated state fund, and they did. Yep. And I think Florida is a, a pretty good model of how project selection and state control can work with autonomy at the local level. I love the blend of how DEP and local governments and people in Florida can bitch about DEP all they want, but... We're not as good as that here in Texas. I I'm, I love Texas. <laughs> okay. I'm not down on, but we got to get better because we have a huge shoreline and huge problems, and we are not administratively set up to do the best job. Yeah.
1: Well, we have a huge budget now, which we're not used to having. And yes, di- things, huge. Things have to. We have to acknowledge that and find ways to get that money put in the ground, into projects intelligently, but we have to get it done or that money is going to go back where it came from.
0: Yeah. It, well, yeah, because, you know, there's nothing like $100 million sitting in a bank account that's supposed to be for something. And after about four years, someone looks over the transom and says, good Lord, that's a, that's a chunk of money. What do you say we pass a bill and slide some of that over here into roadways? Yeah. And that's happening in along the Gulf Coast. Um, but the the engineering problems uh, that, that the states on the Gulf of Mexico are facing with sea level rise and loss of land and marshes and, you know, all of this, uh, and the threats to the coastal communities, big and small, whether it's the city of Houston or Beaumont or Port Orange or Port Natchez or, you know, Port Isabel or down in South Padre, I mean— we, we have coastal communities that are going to take care and attention, and I'm just concerned that we're not set up. We haven't figured out how to administer that. And why I wanted to talk to you is because I think one of the key missing elements is the perspective of the local guys who work with the local officials and the professionals who are there who've been hamstrung Uh, by the process. I I think there, there is
1: a clear need. There is a layer of knowledge and experience that can bridge that gap between the state and federal agencies and the local communities. And they're not, they're not just technical people like engineers that, I mean, they're, they're the folks that, that know and understand the federal, um, uh, uh authorization and appropriation process right there's a folks folks that understand the same processes on the state level and also these these very bureaucratic and whether you like it or not you got to deal with it the, yeah. the processes that are involved when you have disa- disaster funding or, or mitigation funding <sighs> there's so many different colors and flavors of funding and and you it, it takes an army, yeah. Of people, and um, it it very much begs to be de- decentralized because there there is not, and there will never be a small group of huh. central centrally you know located no uh, people that can know everything that needs to be known to run this many projects in this many very different areas. Yeah. I started to mention earlier, you know, when you try to write state. The rules that apply coastwide
0: how Which difficult we it both is we both tried to do and did right. it's very hard because each
1: community is so very different from the others and uh, you have to have a way of of, of having that be part be, be a feature of the program rather than a bug yeah you've got to recognize the differences and let those differences be and yeah not, and not try to force everyone into the same uh, in right. the same mold I think
0: It's not an argument for no central control or no central role. It's an argument for the proper role at the state level of government, uh, which ultimately means every project has to pass muster with the pros at the state level. We all know that. And I think that's important in both the financial management of these multimillion-dollar projects and the technical, but... uh, You you can't hold all the cards. And I want to you mentioned uh, disasters and disaster funding. And I want to bring up a a discussion that's happening in Texas right now. Uh, I'm on the Texas Shore and Beach Preservation Association board. There's a there's a some email traffic going around right now about debris removal. And in Texas, the legislature passed a contract, uh, a a law that said, look, all of the FEMA public assistance for debris removal, which is a ubiquitous early funding stream in post-disaster. It's the first thing that happens. The first thing that happens. And and, and there's a lot of money that flows into debris removal right off the bat. In Texas, all of the debris removal contracts have to start at the state level. And the local governments are who are clamoring to get their hands on the right amount of resources to clear certain streets and certain orders and are intimately familiar with their damn town can't enter contracts for debris removal in Texas unless they have gone through the state first. Now, I ask myself, what the hell is the point of that? Uh, I mean, I take that as a perfect example of what we're talking about. Well, just not to get
1: too far off in the weeds here on this specific thing, but I, I will tell you from several specific personal experiences that the, that the thing that slows down the initial recovery, uh, you know, mm-hmm. af- immediately in the hours and days after the storm, the thing that slows that recovery process down the most is the fact that everything has to r- run through some far away, right uh, bureaucracy um i can't tell you how many uh willing able concerned out of town citizens organizations with trucks and boats and trailers and tractors yeah. came through port arthur after uh hurricane rita yeah and uh in, in 2005 um wh- wh- which went through my parents house yeah and um how many willing and able people were around in the first days, in the first week or two, trying to figure out who to talk to so that they could help? Right. Now, some of them were helping and did help at, at anyway. their own expense. Right. but But legions more were willing to work if they could just, you know, get their expenses paid or make a living at it. Right. And that should have been... What happened, and it had, if if we had the ability to allow that to happen, you you could accelerate the recovery and avoid right. many of the losses that accrue the longer you yeah. know houses and businesses sit around yeah. unused and molding and right and deteriorating, and so you know we started this conversation off by the times you know talking about the timescales, and that's I think the the timescale you know we're still. Closing out housing and non housing disaster recovery contracts from Hurricane Ike Ike in 2008. Yeah. When Harvey hit, there yeah. were still many, many open contracts and money unspent from Hurricane Ike in 2008. And right. I, I don't know how else better you can say it
0: than that. Yeah, we, man, I tell you. That's a huge issue. That, that That's a whole show. Thanks a lot, Bill. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bill Worsham, Director of Coastal Engineering. Thanks for being on the Local Control Podcast, Bill, and I hope we have a chance to have you back on again.